like a clown, no notes, all pages Bagging, boarding Batman in the gutter like a Macy Storytellers, we some fellas, we some felons Isn't amazing, Zacapella, Vericella Cause this shit is so contagious Mouse on the summaries, compiler, got the show While the cycle spitting knowledge on the Yeti like a pro Keep the babble, we the rabble, don't step to the squad We get active, and haters like a cephalopod You don't like fish talk? Do you hate a tomato? We the cuttlefish killers, tentacles on the tape Greatest five stars if you cherish your life Bucky Barnes hit squad spraying lead in your pipe Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Is This Just Bad? Is This Just Bad? The best podcast you never heard of. I'm your host, Professor Mouse Joy, as always, by the Cosmologist. Trash or good? Is it trash or good? Uh, Skip Bayless, is he trash or good? That's <laughs> what we're going to be talking about. For... Uh, I don't even need to see any other evidence. I already have an answer, but let's take a look. Okay. I, I, I got to... Okay, so you brought up uh, this is related to, to Monday Night Football. We're recording this on Tuesday. It'll come out on Friday. Um, and so uh, at at that point, hopefully there will be good news um, yes. regarding what happened. But do you want to outline just the broad strokes of what happened in the Bills-Bengals game? Sure. So um, this is the end of week 17. Um, this is a big deal for the AFC playoffs. Uh, Bengals are coming in. Um, bills are coming in where they're fighting for top seeding uh, for the AFC playoffs. For those of you who, for whatever reason, are still Ravens fans, um, this has implications for the Ravens as well, uh, because if the Bengals lose, then the Ravens still have a shot at the AFC North title. Ba- Ravens are still in the playoffs no matter what, but it's a difference in a really big difference in seeding because if the Ravens fall all the way to the number six seed, they have to fight the top AFC seed, which could be either the Bengals or the Bills or somebody, or the Chiefs, I think. Is it probably so, going to be the Chiefs? It's probably going to be the Chiefs. So this is like interesting. You know, this sort of end-of-season playoff math is always fascinating. Um, so we go in, big deal, lots of excitement, going to Cincinnati. Um, like five or six minutes into the first quarter, uh, DeMar Hamlin uh, on the Bills takes a what looks like a fairly normal but like pretty heavy hit, but you know, nothing out of the ordinary. Get takes this hit from T. Higgins, stands up, adjusts his mask, and then just falls over. Mm-hmm. And it looks, it looks like a the kind of thing you see in a UFC that just like kind of delayed reaction knockout. Yeah, and he's just down, and he's down, and he doesn't get back up, and it's horrifying. It's traumatic, and and you get to the point where all of the bills and all of the Bengals are all on the field surrounding him. And one of the announcers at one point goes, you know, all the players are on the field surrounding the player and our cameras can't really get in there. And maybe that's for the best. And I'm thinking, well, no shit, dude. Like they're doing this on purpose. So you can't see what's happening because they're coming together as you know a brotherhood. And it's interesting. You, you start to see Joe Burrow and, um, and Josh Allen talking to each other. And at this point, even before there's any official announcement game's over like everybody has shed any shred of competitiveness although um uh what's his name uh the 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 bills receiver um stefan diggs yeah diggs has like a moment of like trying to rile people up on the sidelines that just goes out the window immediately everybody's shell-shocked everybody's crying there's a ambulance on the field they're giving this man cpr they're giving him the you know the AED, the 
um quarter or electrical shock thing yeah, yeah. um the defibrillator the defibrillator thing thank you and it's everybody's traumatized like it's over we should not be playing this game at this point and or maybe ever again or maybe ever again maybe you should just stop playing this game that's a fair point this is um there's um, initially a potentially spurious report but the espn announcers say oh they're gonna give them five five minutes to like regroup and then to their credit the coaches come out on the field and it's so funny because it's very much like there's that story about christmas during world war one where um people from both sides of the trenches like start exchanging christmas presents and like stop fighting for a ceasefire and they come out on the field flanked by their referee bodyguards or whatever and talk and you see him just like pointing to the sidelines and they leave and they just all go back and the game gets officially post suspended temporarily and the crowd's being really good about it and respectful. And then they all, you know, we're, we're, we're done. We're done. We're leaving. We're not playing this game now. There's no idea. Nobody knows when we're going to play this game again, but we're done. We're taking DeMar Hamlin to, to the hospital. We'll figure this out later, which is great. It's really important, but it takes like an hour to to make that decision. And it's really interesting because the, there's a real flip from thinking about the game time implications to this like, it feels like watching 9-11, honestly, of just like nobody knows what's happening. They keep cutting back to Susie Colbert in the um, little like control room who has nothing new to say. And they're all just kind of like sitting there being awkward. And then it starts to turn into like a moral question about like collective action of, you know, these coaches are not going to ask these players who are all weeping on the sidelines to play a game. And if they do, they're going to get a mutiny on their hands. Mm. And luckily, the NFL Players Association comes out and goes, look, first priority is DeMar Hamlet's health. We're not doing this. Game's over. Goodbye. And that's the right decision. And my feeling is they should just take a draw. You know, if if they, in terms of like seeding or whatever, like don't make them replay this game. Move on to week eighteen. But the playoff implications. But the playoff implications, <laughs> right? So enter Skipalus. Well, so and I just want to make a point. I've been watching a lot of football, the real kind. <laughs> what, what American football? No, no, I've been watching a lot of soccer. Oh, right. Sorry. And the rest of the so, world's football. Yeah, I've been watching the the Premier League and stuff, and uh, the league, which is the French league, and also La Liga, which is the Spanish league. Did the World Cup really convert you? Are you like a big footballer now? I've been all I've always been interested in football. I watch every four years, and then I periodically keep up with like scores and shit like that. Now <clears throat> I like threw my support behind a team, and it's the team that has the most Americans on it, which is two Americans, including the captain of the U.S. national uh, men's national uh, football team. Uh, Leeds United, which is a dog shit team, which is great because you never want to join a fandom when the team is good. <laughs> you just want to join a fandom that sucks shit and it's always bad. It's like being a Wizards fan. I understand this team completely. Um, and, and and what is so fascinating about it is that the World Cup happened in the middle of all of their seasons and no one gave a shit. No one cared about the implications that it would have. No one cared about like the fact that on the other side of it's going to be horrible weather in England. Nobody gave a shit. They were just like, okay, yeah, the World Cup is happening. We'll go to Qatar and we'll come back. And they all played 
a couple of days later. Or in the case of Leo Messi, who's still in Argentina, hasn't played at all. And no one cares. Like, they all are, like, eminently reasonable about the sport. It's like extenuating circumstances happen. Doesn't matter. Also, famously a sport in which there are a lot of draws. Um, and to to hear all of the sort of like the fact that it was it took an hour to cancel the game and the fact that there were so many people talking about the implications that this will have moving forward is mind boggling. It really does lay bare how our priorities are totally fucked. Yeah, how I mean, this is just a perfect encapsulation of sort of bloodthirsty American capitalism, right? Like yeah. the just machine keeps moving, you know, what you you throw your living capital at your dead uh machine and to, to feed it the blood of your your of your youth or whatever. And it took it's so it shouldn't feel exceptional and impressive, but it does that both organizations, the Bills and the Bengals, went, No, fuck this. We're we're not playing this game. Yeah, but and, that should have been like everybody's immediate reaction is stop the game, go home or go to the hospital. And at the beginning of every Premier League game, everybody on the pitch takes a knee. And, and like Kaepernick's protest, they haven't taken a knee in the NFL since that whole shit happened. Mm hmm. Like they refuse to do that at the beginning of every Premier League game. Everybody on the pitch takes a knee. It is mind boggling how regressive uh, American sports are. And that is an encapsulation where somebody in a, in a famously dangerous sport, you can no longer deny it. Like Tua Tuglia Vioa might never play football again because he got three concussions in one season mm -hmm. like and if he does continue to play and he continues to get concussions and he continues to get hurt he might die in his early 30s like demarius thomas is has has passed people it is fucking crazy how young nfl players die but simultaneously how bloodthirsty people are to see these matches and this was like a perfect encapsulation of that as there's somebody who is in critical condition who now we know has went into cardiac arrest um and the 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 discourse that has emerged out of it does speak to how fucking warped this country is myocarditis was trending there were people who were blaming demar hamlin's injury on the fact that he got vaccinated a i don't know if he got vaccinated that's yet to be seen b who, who gives a shit at this moment as there's a young man who is in critical condition who's intubated you want to talk about the covid vaccine and it was like I didn't even understand that. I saw one comment on the NFL's Twitter be like, "Are we ready to have the vaccine conversation?" Like, huh? What? That's yeah. what people were, were thinking about. That God, that's so stupid. Yeah, the doctor. I read a comment from some doctor being like, "This is essentially like a kung fu injury." So this is in sports. This injury can happen most commonly with baseball players, and it's a very rare injury anyway. But 
basically, if you suffer a very sharp impact at exactly the right time and exactly the right place, it like sh like short circuits the electrical impulses in your heart and yeah. causes it to stop beating correctly, which again is like, you know, five finger death punch absurdity. It's like very rare, but it speaks to the fact that football players get hit really, really, really hard constantly. Yeah. And it's not even like a dirty play from T. Higgins. That's no, it's fine. It was just like it didn't even look. And that's the thing. It was, quote unquote, fine in the because football is such a bloodthirsty gladiator sport to begin with that, like, it didn't look out of the ordinary. Right. Um, and so uh, people were having takes in real time. And again, we talked about James Gunn. Yeah. Uh, that Again, this is a really good point that you're about to. We're on the same page here, which is maybe just don't have takes in real time. <laughs> maybe you should get off of Twitter. Yeah, it just terminally <laughs> on Twitter. And Skip Bayless is terminally on Twitter. He has tweeted 61,000 times. Um, he's an interesting cat. He is a, um, you know, he he's 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 an enigmatic figure. He is also a very he doesn't watch pro wrestling because it's not a real sport and he fancies himself like a real sporto guy. Like he's also fancies himself like an athlete. And it, there's a very famous uh, moment in ESPN history where Jalen Rose, who was a fantastic basketball player in college and the NBA confronted Skip Bayless and pulled his stats from high school <laughs> because Skip Bayless was calling uh, players out of their name. He was giving them nicknames, uh, uh, specifically the one in question, although he did, he did it all the time was Chris Bosch who played for the heat. He was calling him Bosch spice. And Jalen Rose was like, Oh, what, what do you, what are you Im implying by calling him Bosch spice? Like what, why is that an insult? Also, why are you insulting professional athletes? And then Skip Bayless said a bunch of bullshit. And then Jalen Rose said, did you average 1.5 points per game in your senior year in varsity basketball? And Skip Bills was like taken aback. <laughs> Somebody would dare to look up his stats. And and for just a regular ass person, that doesn't cut deep. But when he did that, Jalen Rose had to apologize afterward. And then they had to have a special episode of first take where skip bayless was allowed half an hour to explain why he averaged that and he said well you know i was forced to play a different position that i wasn't suited to and the coach's son was on the team and blah 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 and this that and the third jalen rose was sitting there looking at him like i'm only here because espn will fire me if i don't <laughs> I can't play yeah fucking dipshit's ego that is wild so this is yeah. the kind of person we're dealing with, right? And he is football obsessed, big Cowboys fan, just like a, the biggest villain. And so he's tweeting all during the game. Um, and so here we go. Uh, let's start with the first tweet before the DeMar Hamlin thing was, finally, a team won the toss and went boss, taking the ball, no deferring. But this team has Joe Burrow and this team is ahead 7-0. He loves Joe Burrow. He loves to talk about how good Joe Burrow is and how he's better than Patrick Mahomes and to just say a bunch of outlandish nonsense that will get people to watch him talk. Because right. because despite pretending that pro wrestling isn't part of his interest, he is a classic pro wrestling heel. Yeah, he's an absolute heel. Just to say the dumbest bullshit you can and to get people to watch is truly uh, 
you know, that's like some Vince McMahon shit. And so here's the first tweet he sends about uh, DeMar Hamlin. Not exactly sure what happened to DeMar Hamlin. Players on both teams are shaking ambulance out on the field. CPR administered. Can't remember play being stopped for this length of time. Just said a prayer for him and his family. Fine. Fine. Yeah. Now, to be fair, I can remember play being stopped for longer than this. The Super Bowl <laughs> with the Ravens and the 49ers. because The power went out. So, yeah, well, yeah even like most basic fact checking, he's saying outlandish bullshit. Well, one of the, one of his common refrains is, "I've never seen anything like it," and he's usually talking about Tom Brady when he says something like that. And usually, the thing that he's referring to is something that not only has been done, but it's something that Tom Brady's done like three times before. <laughs> That's a very like you know Jim Ross or Michael Cole. You know, they've been watching pro wrestling for thirty years. They're like, wow, unprecedented! I've never seen that before. <laughs> like, really, you saw it last week? <laughs> you you've seen everything that can happen. Like. <laughs> everything the worst things in the world that you can imagine you've seen them um and so he and then he continues tweeting i've seen so many horrific injuries suffered on football fields yet never have i seen a reaction like this and every other situation i witnessed or covered the game always went on fairly quickly the attitude was hey that's football for these players this was different okay yeah which is all right this is like a weird take because at one level, yeah, football does generally proceed. Now, usually it's because they're going to, like, cart the guy off the field on a little truck, and then, like, he waves at the fans, and he's, like, clearly grimacing, and, like, his leg's broken or something. But, like, you know, everybody claps for him, and then we move on. Okay. They yeah. didn't cart this guy off. Like, <laughs> that's it, of course it's different. Yeah. Dude died on the field and had to be brought back to life. Um, yeah, it's, like, it's a horrific thing. And, uh, but... <sighs> None of these, none of these things, like if you contextualize it, like somebody like breaks their, you know, ankle or something like that, and it's like a grisly injury, and the person's in a lot of pain. Wasn't it Joe Burrow? Maybe not. Who got his leg, like his leg, horribly broken? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Um, was it Joe Burrow? I know um, what you're talking about. Though. Yeah, there's a couple of quarterbacks who've had they suffered like horrifying injuries, been out for a season. Yeah, and this happens in basketball all the time. A guy will break, like, snap their leg right in half, and it, mm -hmm. it, you know, and that is an injury that is, it's grisly, it's ghastly, but we know ultimately that the the guy's going to be okay. The what what was happening is what was happening at the moment was like total shock and uncertainty yeah and so what bothers me about skip bayless's take here is it's putting the onus on the players as though they're reacting strangely oh it's so weird that they're it's different for them you know and it and knowing where where this man is coming from i'm you know i'm projecting a little bit but i'm inferring from his general bullshittery that he's like this could lead to a all the players or snowflakes or some nonsense. Right. And he will argue that he is he's being misinterpreted. And he might be right about some uh, the tweet that really blows up is the next one, which I'll show you. Um, he might be right about the sort of the misinterpretation part. But what he doesn't realize is that the problem that most people had is that he's fucking talking at all. Yeah. And this is like if somebody in, if if there was somebody 
who was shocked by an electrical outlet during a party or something like that. And they were splayed out on the ground after having been, you know, knocked out or whatever. And everybody's scrambling to figure out, call the ambulance, call 911, do this, that, and the third. You're trying to figure something out. Google, like, you know, just frantic and frantic and frantic. And there was a dipshit who was sitting there talking about electricity and like how the how how electricity works in a house and how outlets work in a house and why this person shouldn't have been like you that per, you would fucking kick that per, just leave shut up what why are you talking about this yeah the best thing that espn did in the minutes during you know the two best things espn did one they didn't try to like force a camera crew in there like they let the the players surround the guy and you know didn't try and, and then they kept cutting away and they'd come back and they'd be like we got nothing new to tell you we're going back to the commercial right. and that was good because the worst thing that they did was like force Susie Colber and um, Booger to just like sit there and fill time like they got nothing to say they shouldn't yeah. be saying anything just wait just turn mm -hmm. it off and wait and so for Skip to like feel like he needs to fill time because he's terminally online is pathological yeah. And so this is the big one that gets him in a lot of trouble. Um, it has 144.5 million views. Now Twitter has views. Uh, a bunch of shit. Yeah, I don't uh, know Twitter well enough to know if he got ratioed or not. <laughs> he certainly got ratioed. There are a lot of people in his mentions. Um, it reads, no doubt the NFL is considering postponing the rest of this game. But how? This late in the season, a game of this magnitude is crucial to the regular season outcome, dot, 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 which suddenly seems so irrelevant, period. Yeah, I see why he thinks he's being misinterpreted. Yeah. The easy answer is just don't tweet this at all, dude. Right. So because you know what? This is a thought that everybody had and everybody had the good sense to not put it out into the world because it was a. Uh, really like uh, faux pas thing to think like yes obviously like what's going to happen to week 18 and the playoffs and the AFC seeding it doesn't matter we'll figure it out later yeah it, his his thing is that the last part of this is the part that people are missing where she's saying that all of this is irrelevant within the grand scheme of things because of what has happened to this young man but it is in poor taste to even bring up the idea of like the NFL when there's somebody who is potentially perishing before our very eyes on national television. Like the fact that again, yeah, to your point, the fact that Boomer has like nobody should be talking about football. It doesn't matter. Like, where what is our uh like, what does it say about our moral fiber that we could even consider the playoff implications? It didn't cross my mind once. Yeah. I was watching that game. It was like, holy shit. This is like, this is like some Owen Hart shit. This is not supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. This is. Yeah. Owen Hart's a perfect, a perfect example. A uh, really good parallel. Um, yeah. I have to wonder what Stefan, because they didn't mic anybody up again. Good polite i have to wonder what stefan Diggs was trying to say to people on the sidelines because they had that shot of him like in the middle of a huddle when it seemed like maybe they, they were going to try to still play the game mm -hmm. and 
you could tell you could watching everybody else like nobody was listening to him everybody's got this like thousand yard stare on they're just totally shell-shocked and like the thought of like football is the last thing on anybody's mind right now except skip bayless apparently (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like the fucking Oscar slap after Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. Mm-hmm. Are you guys are still doing the giving out trophies? Like what? <laughs> this is like a monument. Just just go home. This sucks. Like yeah. what's to be here anymore? The just like pretending that nothing ever like nothing happened or ignoring things or sweeping them under the rug or being like, yeah. Like what? What do you expect to happen? This is, yeah, but this is the NFL machine too, right? Like, um, Al Michaels have because I'm watching a lot of football this season. Um, and Al Michael, I generally like his he's goofball, and I like his commentary most of the time. And um, he, he does all the Amazon ads for Thursday Night Football as well. And so, uh, hilariously, like when uh Rings of Power was on, he he misread an ad read about the ORC Army. Because he just doesn't know who orcs are, and I thought that was very funny. So he's got like little clever goofball things to say, but he said a couple of times throughout the season, "Oh yeah, the pandemic season," talking about 2020, mm-hmm. as though that was like a historical artifact that's over now. <laughs> and like, yeah, nobody's wearing masks, and we haven't delayed or postponed a game in two years. We probably should be though. Like that's not over. <laughs> Um, probably everybody who goes to one of these games is getting COVID because they're oh, they're still potentially super spreader events. But the idea of just like in trying to put a bookend on things and move on is the NFL and American culture writ large. It's its whole raison d'etre. Like just move on, don't think about it, pretend it never happened. Um, and so yeah, I again, it is exceptional and unique. Um, that. The NFL didn't try to play that game, though I guarantee the the players would have mutinied. They would have just refused to had the NFL tried to make them. Yeah. So Skip Bayless is a show with Shannon Sharp, legendary tight end in the NFL. And people were juxtaposing Skip's series of like word vomity tweets to what Shannon Sharp said at the moment that it happened, which was just one tweet. Uh, where he said, please keep DeMar Hamlin and his family in your thoughts and prayers. NFL doesn't have a manual on how to proceed after an incident like this. Prayers up, Monday Night Football, Bills versus Bengals. And then he signed off the internet. Like, that's all he tweeted. Yeah, and just um, get out. And I saw RG3 posting, like, post this picture of them all huddled around each other. Don't post the the clip of DeMar getting hit. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers. And, like, everybody's been pretty polite about it. Yes. So the big the big, you know, sort of like news after all of this with regard to Skip is that he got unprecedented interaction on this tweet. People don't engage with him like this. And so he tweeted out a clarifying tweet saying nothing is more important than that young man's health. That was the point of my last tweet. I'm sorry if that was misunderstood, but his health is all that matters. Again, everything else is irrelevant. I prayed for him and will continue to. Um, everybody was like, it's this, this is over now. The Skip Bayless thing is over now. Cause you know, we we can take so much kayfabe um and so much like 
LeBron James is the ninth best player in NBA history, like just absolutely deranged takes that he has. Um, (laughs) Joe Burrow's better, Patrick Mahomes, like all that shit that that's all fine, but you're like a out of touch, stupid old man. You're like our grandfather who is just on Twitter all the time. And it's time for you to go home. Like you should not be here anymore. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the culture decides that you are no longer needed. Society has progressed past the need for Skip Bayless. <laughs> yeah, truly. And so he went on Undisputed today, and Shannon Sharp was not there. Whoa. Which is the first time in the history of that show that that has happened. And everybody's speculating. Shannon Sharp hasn't said anything. Famously, they got into an argument recently where Shannon Sharp was criticizing Tom Brady because he was playing like stir fry, to use Shannon Sharp's terminology. (laughs) Stir fry, I like it, okay. (laughs) He was playing like absolute shit, and Skip Bayless does this thing where if Tom Brady does bad, it's because his defense is bad. It's also Yeah, it's everyone else's fault. And so Shannon Sharp, is is saying like no t- Tom Brady's QBR was like twenty five. He threw a pit like a pick at a pivotal moment. He sucks shit. He's he didn't play well this game, and Skip Bayless is losing the argument because he can't figure out how to even even to like because the defense doesn't play bad most of the time. Like Tampa Bay's defense, yeah, they've got a good defense. Um. And Mike Evans is great. And Chris Godwin is great. These are like young receivers who are like in the top of their classes and shit like that. The problem is Tom Brady's old and Mm -hmm. a guy like Skip Bayless, who's also aging, can't come to grips with that. And so what he says to Shannon Sharp is uh, Tom Brady was way better than you. Out of nowhere. Whoa. Just an ad hominem attack out of nowhere. (laughs) And Shannon Sharp was like, what? Hold on. Hold on. (laughs) And he gets a furious. He gets furious where he goes, you would take a personal shot at me because he is in on the kayfabe. He's in right. on the kayfabe. Yeah. But this crosses a line at a certain point where it's like, you do need to understand that I'm a pro football Hall of Famer and I played on the same field as Tom Brady and I played with John Elway and I played with the best defense in the history of the NFL. Like, I know some shit. I know a lot more about football than you do. Because what is your experience? You watched a lot of it. Mm -hmm. So did I, in addition to playing it at the highest level ever. And so it's like (laughs) I had three Super Bowls. I revolutionized an entire position in the NFL. (laughs) And Tom Brady is the goat because he plays the you know most important position. But I'm you know I'm not a scrub. And that's what Shannon Sharp said. He was like, "You're talking to me like I'm a bum. You're talking to me like I was trash. I won three Super Bowls. I'm in the Hall of Fame." And he said, "Top Tom Brady is better than you ever thought about being." And all this shit. Wow, he just went too far. Just went too far. And so a lot of people are speculating that Shannon is going to. Uh, because, you know, there are a lot of people also who were pressuring. This is what I don't love about the spin cycle thing was they were giving Skip all this shit in addition to pressuring Shannon to leave the show. 
This is so interesting to me that Shannon has managed to stay on the show this long while preserving his own integrity or his own reputation. Because, you know, there's a certain amount of if you're on a show with a goofball that long, you know, part of the joke is that Shannon starts the straight man who can like, you know, banter back and forth. Obviously, he's in on the K-Fob to an extent. Mm. But at some point when you're you like get dragged down into the mud with your art dance partner, if you're doing that bullshit for that long. And there has to be a point when Shannon either needs to decide he's going to just be a full-time clown mm-hmm. or he's going to protect his own integrity and his own reputation and leave. And this might be that point. And, but, and Skip is not, he's not doing it right anymore. He's sort of lost the thread where you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to make your dance partner look bad. Right. And this is, we talk about this in KFOB all the time. The whole point of, the heel face thing is you have to make your opponent look good so that when you beat them, you look better. Right. Yeah. yeah. And there is, there is a level of sort of derangement and delusion now that has reached an apex with this latest thing. I, out of sick curiosity, I didn't watch, uh, undisputed because, I didn't want to give them the ratings, mm-hmm. but a lot of people watch it and then post clips onto YouTube as it's happening. And so I, I watched the beginning of it and it was eerie. It was like eerie. It was like watching somebody who, if you were ever in trouble as a kid, trying to talk your way out of it and you're kind of like shaking and you're scared, and you're obviously guilty of the exact thing that your parents are saying you did, and you're just like, you're just like, no, no. I'm trying to say anything. Yeah. You can't hide it. You can't hide how bad you fucked up, and the fuck up is, like, bad. Like, you got suspended from school type of shit, and y- your mom has no time for that. <laughs> like, you <laughs> fucked up. And that's what he looked like. He was holding his papers and the papers were shaking and stuff like that. And I didn't read that as regret for what he did. I read that as, oh, no, I got really caught this time. Being yeah. an asshole. Yeah. And this, that's the problem with people like this is they don't learn the right lesson from that experience. They're not actually remorseful. They're just like upset that they got caught. Yeah. And that's yeah. the hallmark of a trash person. <laughs> so the end, there's the answer to our segment. Trash or trash. good? Skip Bayless. Trash. Um, God, yeah. So it's a new year. We're back. We took a break. We're, we're institutionalizing that break. Christmas, New Year's. We take a break. Once a year, we take a break. Is yeah. that is that bad? Is that bad to do? Trash or good? I don't know. We're, we're refreshed and ready to get bring you scalding hot takes on ice cold content yet again, and for a brand new year. Um, I mean. For those of you who, you know, are in school of a school age, you get your summer break. Uh, those of us who are in the professional world, even if we're in the school, like summer break doesn't really count. So, you know, in the office, I also try to take this sort of week between Christmas and New Year's and just do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important. And like, I absolutely encourage you. Know, we've got friends who may or may not listen to the show. Take your PTO. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Prince B. Doesn't um, yeah. Take your PTO. Doesn't uh, know how probably to lose. Probably not. <laughs> so anyway, if you've got it, take it. It's important. Don't let your office, don't let your work um, beat you down or guilt you into not taking your PTO. Mental breaks are really important. So we're back. 
um, things that I did oh, over. No, 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 wait, wait, you didn't say it right. We're back. Oh, sorry, we're back, baby. baby. <laughs> there it is. You got there. A um, couple of things that I watched over PTO. I want to talk about. Um, the first is the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. So, mm. speaking of Twitter, speaking of James Gunn, um, the holiday special is interesting. Uh, it is absolutely a James Gunn. You know. Totally, it's got his creative stamp all over it. And it is, with the exception of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, his last Marvel project. So it very much is going to lead into GOTG 3. Um, and it was really interesting to me. It's only 45 minutes long. I'm just to preface this, I highly recommend watching it. And I recommend watching it because you could substitute these characters with John Cena. And it would feel basically identical. Um, it feels like an episode of Peacemaker, which is to say it's totally deranged. Um, it's got goofy humor. It's got more adult jokes. It's got dark humor. Mm. Um, Batista and uh, and Mantis kidnap the, the real Kevin Bacon, bring him back as a Christmas present hostage for, um, for Star-Lord. Um, it does a really nice job of having um, Chris Pratt in like two scenes. It's a 45 minute thing. Chris Pratt's probably in 10 minutes tops, which is like a really, really strong choice because it centers these other secondary characters that you don't get to see very often. It really, you get some more depth to their truly how strange they are. And what it put into focus for me was I'm watching it and I'm loving it. I'm having a great time. Like, all these characters are so bizarre. This feels very much like Peacemaker humor. Everybody's really quirky. We understand how their quirkiness and their weirdness um, really either masks or plays into their various emotional vulnerabilities. It does that kind of humor that we like from Peacemaker. And what I realized was, as I'm watching, I'm like, wow, I need to go back and watch these Guardians movies. I don't remember them being this fun. I must have missed something. And then I went, no, 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 wait a second. I didn't miss anything. Disney Plus is finally delivering on the promise of a streaming service, which is allowing this product to be uh, unconcerned or unbothered by appealing to the widest audience possible, unbothered by various censorship and ratings and metrics and focus groups. And it fulfills the promise of what James Gunn is hinting at in the first two Guardians movies, which is everybody's weird, everybody's a little bit more adult, everybody's a little bit more um, kind of off-kilter than the main Marvel universe, but the edges of those characters get shaved off throughout those movies. Mm -hmm. So, this feels like a filter has been lifted. It's much more authentic to, I think, how odd James Gunn wants these characters to be and understands them to be, and it fills me with a whole lot of excitement about what he's going to do at DC because what we've seen from Peacemaker is DC basically said to him we have no ideas, we have no direction, we will let you do literally anything you want. You want Starro? You got it. You want comic book style title cards? You got it. You want to kill all of David Ayer's characters? Do whatever you want. Right. And so um, this was like a little peek into that. That kind of creative freedom and license and leeway Disney's too entrenched now to ever give him again, I think. Mm -hmm. And so it was cool to see a little peek at what that could be. Um, but it's all more of like a, a taste of things to come at DC, I hope. 
Yeah, that's great. Uh, haven't watched it. We uh, we we did some like we did some canceling of subscription services based on viewing habits, and Disney Plus was the first to go. <laughs> <laughs> that would that that it doesn't have enough content on it. Like if I want to watch the holiday special, I'll get it. Yeah, you get it from Blockbuster. You know how. Um, <laughs> but it but it truly is that way where it's like, oh, a, a thing just dropped on Disney Plus and or is really good. And then there won't be anything for like four months. Yeah, you so, could like sign up for a month at a time every six months and just watch the three things that are relevant and then yeah. cancel it again. Yeah. And the same that's the same way we treated Hulu. Hulu will have like one movie on there every couple of months where it's like, oh, Fire Island is out. People say that's a really good Pride and Prejudice like adaptation. Let's watch it. We watched it. It was good. Why are we paying $10 a month for this? Mm-hmm. I paid $30 in the last three months and I watched one movie. Not worth it. So we nixed that as well. Um, and so, yeah, there's 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 certain things I have to acquire. <laughs> and I believe that'll be one of them. Yeah, well, that one is, to, is, is actually worth uh, seeking out. So did Netflix survive the cut? Uh, well, yeah, because we, we had to watch Class Onion, but I think it won't after they kick everybody off our Netflix account. <laughs> the only reason we have it is because our Netflix, is, it gets a lot of activity. Mm-hmm. We're just not the ones involved in that activity. Mm-hmm. So we're keeping it. Apparently, Netflix is going to eliminate password sharing, which is going to affect like 100 million users. And the moment they do that, that's when we'll get We're done. Yeah, we just recently um, took my in-laws account. Like transferred the the email address because they were like, look, we're not paying for this anymore. You know, and for the last decade, we've been you know, on this kind of family plan. Like, we don't want to do this anymore. There's nothing on here we want to watch. In the meantime, we're like, well, we're rewatching Supernatural all 15 seasons for the second time, so we'll pay for it. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, but yeah, we'll see. So they're now using our account instead of us using theirs, and that's fine until maybe it's not anymore, and then we'll see what happens from there. But when we absorbed their account and switched over, it's like, wait, there's like different tiers now. And do I want 720p or 1080p? And I'm not paying four extra bucks a month for 1080 whatever. It's complicated. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know how much long, longer that's going to last. But I also watched Glass Onion. That's the other thing I want to talk to you about. What did you think? It was good. <laughs> yeah. I, th- these, um, these, I like these Knives Out movies as what they are, which is like, I, you know, I heard Ryan Johnson talking about this on a, in a roundtable that he did with a bunch of like other writer directors, and he was talking about the decision to 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 be very sort of modernly satirical mm-hmm. in his work, um, where, and I think that this is an intro. I I wonder about this. That this is like an interesting sort of um, not con- like kind of a constraint that he's put on his work where he when he wrote The Last Jedi, he tried to write it in a sort of like timeless way. I mean, it's Star Wars. Right. And so in his next projects, uh, Knives Out and Glass Onion, a Knives Out story or whatever, he very self-consciously made them like super modern with like hyper modern references. Mm hmm. Where 
I'm going to centralize a character who is unmistakably Elon Musk. I'm going to... Despite then saying, oh, it's a horrible accident. I didn't meet it. Well, yeah, sure you did. Uh, I'm going to uh, include Batista and like the manosphere and this like red pilling stuff that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to include uh, Kate Hudson and these sort of like like these these bizarre oblique references that aren't really that oblique, but that are considered oblique by the person who is being racist, where it's like, oh, I didn't mean it, but I'm obviously. Yeah, it's a it's a very bleeding edge, like the sorts of social media faux pas and the sorts of, you know, social media kerfuffles and things that are happening now and can only happen in today's culture with today's kind of social media presence. You know, the idea of specifically like using Jared Leto as a the butt of his kombucha joke yeah. uh, is like, you know, that's hyper current. Yeah, to, to to also talk about somebody who is terminally online. Ryan Johnson has like responded to critics of The Last Jedi who said things that who responded by pulling books out and quoting passages where people are like, this is not canon. This is not something that happens in Star Wars. This isn't a Jedi power. And him having all this like, because if you ever hear that guy talk, he's a fucking dork. And it, which is great for the types of shit that he does because he does very multi-layered things. And so he's all terminally online. And you can see that in these movies. And it is it is not fun for me to have engaged that stuff because I work in an environment where that comes up a lot. There's a lot of like manosphere red pill shit that is in mm -hmm. 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds currently. Um you know, I, I, I had some Andrew Tate fans in class and shit like like it's it's not great. <laughs> and so when I watch this shit, I'm like, oh, God, this is this, but he's just like sucks. too yeah. close to home. Yeah, it's, it's not even too close to home. It's just like tired. It's like uh, it's like heavy handed in a way that I think I don't really think based on what his intention is, which is, you know, when they were making movies in the fifties and they were making movies in the sixties, it was like easy rider. They were making references to things that were happening then. And it's like, yeah, to a degree that is like a visual signifier, like a motorcycle that it's traveling. And the way that they frame it is a sort of like meditation on freedom and sort of a longing for that. Um, and these sort of countercultural things that people do. But what you have made is a movie that is a bunch of word salad that discusses a lot of like contemporary trends and shit like that. Yeah, Easy Rider's not like name dropping John Lennon. No, no. It, it, it like a lot of the movies that do sort of um, transcend. And it, it, I think it's interesting. He's talking on that roundtable to Jordan Peele, who has managed to figure that out. Where it's like, Get Out will be a movie for all time. People will see that movie in 30 years and they'll go, oh, wow, this is like a, in a Night of the Living Dead kind of way. Mm -hmm. Like This is like a, a, a just monumentally brilliant critique of race mediated through the genre of horror. I think when people watch Glass Onion in 30 years, they're going to be like, what the fuck are they talking about? Like, this is... This is weird, but as a movie, as far as a, a movie is concerned, I thought it was it was very entertaining. I, I enjoyed the twists and the turns. Um, yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that it's a weird thing to watch now because it's so centralizing COVID. 
in a way that like you and I still are in an effort not to die. And you know, the culture has sort of tried to ignore and move on from. So it feels both like bitingly current and almost like a throwback where right. they're like still talking about mass and you got Ethan Hawke um, shooting them all up with some kind of magical anti-COVID drug um, for the conceit of the film. It's odd to like have a, a film really pay attention to it. So it's it's fine. Like I liked it a lot. Um, Daniel Craig is clearly having the time of his life playing this character. Yeah. Um, the the only thing I don't like about it is that it's a knives out mystery and not like a Benoit Blanc mystery. Because like in the this movie is so clearly thinking about it's a mystery movie about mysteries, mm. um, and it's got Stephen Sondheim and Angela uh, Lansbury like on the Zoom with. And apparently, I did not know this until I looked it up. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was on that little Zoom Among Us call, wrote books about Mycroft Holmes. Like, he's a mystery and wrote an episode of Veronica Mars. So, like, he's yeah, a mystery yeah. author also. He's awesome. He's in the um, writing room. Yeah, he's dope. But um, Among Us feels kind of retro in a weird way, despite being, like, hyper-current when this movie was written. Yeah. So, you're right. It's even It's even starting to lose some of its kick when it gets released because it's that's the downfall of being so current mm-hmm. is that currents change but it's fun um anyway because it's a mystery about mysteries like all of these would be like a hardy boys mystery or a sherlock holmes mystery or like a poirot mystery it should be a benoit blanc mystery but that's a very like modern marketing where nobody knows the name benoit blanc everybody knows knives out and that sucks yeah but it's not ryan johnson's fault it's just like the way things get marketed now Right. I, I think, well, uh, Ryan Johnson is like very. I think Ryan Johnson is doing that on purpose because I think he wants to make have the freedom to make these movies and to potentially make one without Daniel Craig. If Daniel Craig gets tired of playing Benoit Block mm. and to 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 stamp stamp it with knives out is to centralize himself where it's like. This is a Ryan Johnson, um, you know, mystery detective movie. And Daniel Craig is going to be the Hercule Poirot, where all those Agatha Christie books, which is this is based on Hercule Poirot, is in it. But they're not Hercule Poirot stories. It's Death on the Nile. It's Murder right. on the Great Express. It's, and he's trading off of that. And also, Daniel Craig is, like, notoriously fickle. He said he'll play, like... Uh, Benoit Blanc every opportunity that he gets but he also said that he was done with Bond and then he did three more Bond movies and then he was like Bond sucks and he's just like such a mercurial dude I don't think that he wants to like slap his name on this shit because who knows what the fuck Daniel Craig is going to want to do that's a fair point um but yeah it's fun it I love that so when you slap it with knives out what it means is it's this like it's a mystery where the central mystery is not a mystery, but then it's also going to comment on mystery uh, tropes and it's going to centralize a bunch of rich people who are who suck. And like, that's the brand. That's yeah. cool. That's fun. And there it's delightful. But you're right. It's um, it does feel oddly kind of heavy handed. I mean, like burning everything at the end. It's this sort of I've seen two takes on it. One is just like, wow, yeah, this is great. It's a. You know, it's got to take on like direct action against the one percent is good. Actually, that's great. Mm-hmm. And then the other take is this is kind of toothless. 
because it's got this kind of wish fulfillment thing that and these people are all straw man cartoons. And I think both things can be true because like rich people really are that stupid and vain a lot of the time. So they feel like straw men, but they're actually just like they just suck that much. Mm. Um, and. But it was fun. And I, I don't you know, I don't think it's it's worth trying to like critique Ryan Johnson. What I'm curious about as a follow up, have you heard anything about Poker Face? Mm-hmm. Um, no. So this is a series. Maybe it's Hulu. I'm going to have to acquire it in some way. It's got the. um the woman who was from both Orange is the New Black and uh, was it Russian Doll Netflix series. Oh, uh, Natasha Lyonne? Yeah. And she, it's based on a series of books, I think. Uh, detective. It's a detective series, a limited series. She is, I think, maybe able to tell when people are lying or incapable of lying or something. There's some kind of hook to it, but it looks fun. And it's got the same sort of studied almost like sitcom absurdity to it from what I've seen from the trailer. So, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed these knives out product projects. So I'm going to check that one out too. I think. Yeah. There's a lot of interest contemporarily in, uh, mystery movies. And that is, uh, see how they run was one, something like that. Vengeance, the BJ Novak movie was also the sort of mystery thing. I think Ryan Johnson is sort of, responsible for that and i think that that's a really good outcome of these knives out movies and one of the things that they said on the junket uh kate hudson made this point where it's like you don't really have these kinds of experiences anymore where you kind of like have a movie you watch with a bunch of people whether that's your family or a bunch of friends and you you just have like a good time for two hours and you don't fight at the end of it. Like <laughs> there's like it's not like going to watch the Batman for three hours and then everybody having some fucking opinion about it. It's just like, oh, this is this is a cool thing. Right in the middle, because we watch it a lot of Jalos and my wife and I, every time about half the way through the movie, we pause the movie and write down who we think did it. Um, and we're always wrong every single time and uh but it's fun though and so that was we did the same thing we paused it right in the middle of the movie it was at the moment where this is a spoiler so spoiler alert where janelle monet visits daniel craig Mm -hmm. and it's the sister paused it because it was like oh the story's unraveling now yes like this is the turn here. So we're about to figure out what's going on. And so everybody pick who 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 you think did it. Um, and we all picked people who were not the obvious choice. And the obvious choice was the what <laughs> was the correct choice. And uh, that's what's so brilliant about the structure as the glass onion of the scent. The core of it is visible. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not actually that complicated. Yeah, very clever. Yeah. Um but so I want to show my top 10 films of 2022. Ooh, okay. I did. I've been using Letterboxd pretty religiously this year uh, and came up with, I think, I think I'll just do this moving on. So it a, 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 a disclaimer. The Banshees of Inishirin is not on here because Prince B will randomly text me 
to ensure that I have not seen that film. Because because he wants to do a whole thing with whiskey or something. He wants to do a whole thing in an Irish pub and go to the movies, which I said I did not want to do. And somehow he has incepted me into agreeing to this when I have not agreed to it. I went back in our text history to see whether or not I ever agreed to do that. And I have n- I've not agreed to do that yet. I still am abiding by the promise that I didn't make to Prince B. So these are my top 10 movies. Of I think it's yeah, I was looking at these. I actually have not seen any of these somehow. And four of them on the list are ones that I'm like, oh, I definitely want to see this. This is high on my list. And I just haven't gotten around to it. So the ones that immediately jump out to me like, oh, I'm definitely going to watch this with Maul, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Woman King, The Menu, and ugh, probably Crimes of the Future. Crimes of the Future is fucking gross. So number one, Tar. Really? Because we saw trailers for that and Maul took one look at it and went, ugh. Uh, conductors are so actually like that gross. <laughs> it's that bad experience with conductors. It's a fantastic film. I really enjoyed it. Um, the movie is so bizarrely contemporary. Um, and the choice to make Kate Blanchett a conductor, I think, is more symbolic than anything. I am not friends with with, with but acquaintances with um somebody like an academic who writes about classical music and is also a classically trained musician who had all these critiques about the movie and one of the chief critiques that she had was that the there's no real attention play, paid to conducting and music and shit mm-hmm. like that and because the movie's not about the movie's that. not about that yeah it's a just a device yeah a signifier well, sure not just a, a signifier the reason that they picked conducting is because conducting is rooted in sort of artistic practice that emerges out of sort of enlightenment liberalism that is this kind of like uh, sanitized, um, uh, you know, theory about a kind of innate morality and humanity that is divorced from all of the messiness of contemporary life. And Mm -hmm. it is the kind of thing that like a Ben Shapiro refers to uh, to dismiss the legitimacy of hip hop music. It's like a way for people to assert a kind of um, uh, social habitus that is that is that is rooted in a kind of highbrow uh, indulgence or a highbrow understanding that is like a coded uh, form of racism <laughs> or a coded form of classism mm-hmm. that um, Lydia Tarr in, in, in the in the in the movie is, fully inhabiting um and it takes a turn and it has a very interesting commentary on the abuse of power uh it is a great gatsby-esque film where as you peel back the layers of the kind of scandal that slowly unfurls throughout the film you also peel back the layers to Lydia Tarr's identity, which is markedly not somebody who is a conductor. And so the space also is a way of legitimizing and also masking the shame that she has about her own sort of class position. Um, And is also one of the reasons why her sort of fall from grace is even more sort of poignant. Um, That's dope. I think the film is fantastic. Kate Blanchett does a great job. If it 
is not for Michelle Yeoh being sort of due. And I hate this shit about the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate Blanchett would would like be running away with the award. She does a fantastic job. Um, Everything Everywhere All at Once. We've talked about on the podcast before. It's absolutely fantastic film. Mainstreamed the idea of the multiverse. Came out before Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And just ate its launch. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Daniels, who are the director, two guys named Daniel, are great. Uh, Amelance by Michael Lance. <laughs> fantastic movie. I love this is like a throwback movie, right? Like to just yeah. like 90s speed uh, action thriller. Yes. Um, to just sort of like, you know, um, encapsulate how 90s it is. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal told a story on this press junket, which the movie is also good because of Yaya and Jake's press tour. <laughs> like they are absurd individuals um but one of the stories he told he told was that there is a scene where um they're 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 driving an ambulance (laughs) they're driving the ambulance underneath an underpass and when they show up to set uh michael bay says that the choppers are going to be tailing you and they're going to go under the underpass and nobody had made mention of choppers being in the scene or the the set at all and so (laughs) jake and yaya just show up and they're like Okay. <laughs> and it is like a classic Michael Bay thing where it's like, and then the fucking helicopters come in and then the, the helicopters chase you and you go through the, the thing as you go and you change ambulances and then you find the guys and then there's a big shootout. Lots of guns. It's just it's fucking crazy. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. That movie is like the best movie to watch if you don't know what movie to watch. You just throw on ambulance and it's fucking great. The unbearable weight of masses talent, Nicolas Cage, Pedro Pascal, Nicolas Cage, 2.0. Great movie. Talked about it already. Bullet Train. I love this movie. This is a very divisive movie. People hate this movie. They think this movie has no point. I love this movie because this movie has no point. Mm. Absolutely great movie. The Woman King is a fantastic movie where in there is there is this sort of like Spartacus quality to it. Is this huge yeah. epic? And Viola Davis, like trade, like shares screen time with every other young black actress in that movie in a way that is sort of her being able to catapult people into the conversation um, in ways that she was never able or she was never given that opportunity. She's just elevating people. That's so cool. Yeah, it, and and the movie itself is great, and she's great in it, and you know. Yeah, I desperately want Amanda Waller to just take off her like suit jacket and reveal how ripped she is now. <laughs> yeah, and it's a so it's a Gina Prince Bythewood movie, uh, who directed The Old Guard. And, oh, yeah. sold. I don't even need to hear anything else. You continue to talk, but like I did not know that that was that's the because we were excited about this movie already, but loved The Old Guard. Yeah, and she also did Love and Basketball. She's she is a fantastic director, and she's the kind of director who, in Love and Basketball, she made Sanaa Lathan like practice for months because she would not put, she would not do the thing that happens in Rocky where it's like fucking fake boxing. She's like, you will look like a basketball player if you're a D one athlete. You're gonna have to look like a fucking D one athlete. Same thing in the Old Guard. 
like everybody in that movie had to know how to fire a fucking gun and do all their own stunts and they had to be physically fit. Um, and in the woman King, she made them fucking exercise and practice, uh, melee combat for hours for months on end. And it shows because the set pieces and the fights and everything are fantastic. In addition to the story and stuff like that. Um, absolutely worth seeing the menu so a fantastic great time at the movies uh this is like a small tiny little baby movie they barely make these anymore like the budget isn't huge it all takes place basically in one location and it's just driven by the drama of the characters and anya taylor joy is just like cementing herself where it's like her base level of like movie is good Mm-hmm. And then sometimes she has a fantastic movie. Uh, she was in Amsterdam, though, so ignore that. Uh, <laughs> not her fault. It's not her fault. Uh, Scream. I, I had an extended monologue. Scream. Yes, is a great talked movie. about Scream. Scream revitalizing the the what it's here for, which is a commentary on horror movies. Yeah. And they're currently making Scream 6. And it's going to star uh, Jenna Ortega who was in this mm-hmm. movie as well, uh, who with her Wednesday fame is just taking off like a fucking rocket ship. Uh, and I think if you're not on that ship, you need to get on that ship because she's going to be like one of the most famous actresses of her generation. She's great. Uh, Barbarian was a great horror film, probably because I wouldn't classify Scream as like a traditional horror movie. It's it, it's not scary. You're, you'll never be scared watching a Scream movie unless you have like the lowest tolerance for scary stuff. Barbarian is a scary movie. It's scary. It's terrifying. And it's also very, very good. And then finally, Crimes of the Future is fucking disgusting. It's gross. There's an episode, I believe, of this ep- of this show called Crimes of the Future where I talk about it. Yep. Uh, great movie, but it's fucking nasty. Barbarian, I think, is the one I know the least about. It's like person locked in a basement movie. So it's a movie... Um, Oh, well, it's it's a movie like that you're you're not allowed to spoil. It would be socially unacceptable for one to spoil. Um, but yes, it's a basement horror movie, and that's all you can say. Um, but the the treat of Barbarian is how much that is a misleading description of the film. And so when you read like what the movie is about. It says that and the movie is technically about that, but it's not about that at all. And so it's this it's this movie that hinges on a second act twist that is like monumentally fucked up. Cool. Love it. Yeah, I might give that a shot eventually. Um, this is a sweet list. So thinking about not really a segue, but um bullet train's a decent segue in terms of being about nothing. I wanted to ask you, and I got a couple of thoughts about this. Uh randomly so we finished Supernatural again, and um, on a whim, uh, turn. I've never seen Seinfeld, and Maul grew up with Seinfeld, and you and I grew uh, were had a roommate who had all the Seinfeld DVDs sitting in the living room for years, and uh, but I'd never watched it, and I'm like, and I know sort of the broad strokes of like their bits of Seinfeld that just are in popular culture and have affected popular culture for years and changed the way people make sitcoms and changed the way people do comedy. And obviously it's got a big part in the history of uh, stand-up, which you're kind of a historian of, but I had just missed it. Um, and it's interesting 
because I was talking to my, my dad. My parents never had it on. My parents never watched it. Not interested in it at all, which is very ironic. I'll get to that in a second. But <laughs> I have a really, and it's ironic because it's about them, basically. Yeah. Um, it's And they just kind of can't take a joke. And it's, it's so interesting. I wasn't ready for it until about now. Um, and we'll get to that in a second. But I have a really strong memory of seeing the finale of Seinfeld. What I had forgotten about this story is I have a strong memory of the the finale of Seinfeld because I was coming home. Parents and I are out at something, come home, and it's just on. We don't watch Seinfeld. We don't have it on in the house. It's just on because our cats have turned the TV on to catch the finale of Seinfeld. Um, (laughs) So they're watching. Very strange. But um, it is very much, I just, we're on like season two or something. I just watched the Chinese restaurant episode, which is seen as like an iconic episode it's a single you know it's, it's a real-time episode one set they're just stuck in waiting for a table at the chinese restaurant and i'm watching this right after my dad saying like oh yeah this, this show never interested me me well the conceit of that episode is they're trying to get food before going to see a showing of plan nine from outer space <laughs> which is apps my dad i had Plan 9 merch at home. We had the VHS and then we had the DVD. He constantly talked about Plan 9. Plan 9 is one of you and I, our kind of foundational texts of like watching bad movies together mm-hmm. uh, to make you know, sar- sarcastic comments. And so Seinfeld is very much like, I'm so, like representation is important, I guess. I am very much of the culture that kind of, of a Jewish upbringing as well. It's so close to home that I wouldn't have been able to appreciate it until now because I was too close to it. Yeah. What I'm realizing now is I'm so glad I didn't watch it in college because after you graduated and I had new roommates, um, one of our roommates uh, at this point, first names probably don't matter so much. His name was Isaac. Uh, Isaac was a stand-up comedian. Isaac fancied himself as a Seinfeld. Isaac was actually literally Cosmo Kramer um, to the point of like moved in like a jerky way, had really tall hair, had absurd sort of um, problems that don't happen to most real people. Uh, This is a this is a guy who um, thought he was going deaf, had to go to the doctor because he thought he was like had some kind of horrible condition. Turned out he just hadn't cleaned his ears in months and had too much earwax. Like this is the kind of thing that happened to him. Uh, He would not share grocery bills with us. So he only ate, even though that would have been much cheaper. So he only ate uh, Chef Boyardee and then would like, look longingly at our food. Total Kramer move. I could list 10 things and you would and have you guess which one was Isaac and which one was Kramer. They all sound I- identical. He would sit down on the couch and, you know, quarters would just fall out of his pockets. <laughs> he had um, a lot of my that set of roommates played magic. At one point, he had like a big collection of magic cards that he'd gotten from somebody, and they just like exploded in the living room. And for months later, you would just like be picking magic cards out of the couch cushions, and like they'd be under a table, and they'd be where the dishes were supposed to be, and there'd be magic cards in the refrigerator randomly. And so it was just this kind of nonsense. And he thought he was funny, but was, you know, again, considered himself a Seinfeld, was actually a Kramer. I think that. Watching Seinfeld would have driven me insane in college because I didn't need to watch somebody going through my own lived experience 
yeah, yeah. Now, 10 years later, I can watch go, this is really funny. This is really relatable. Um, but it's also interesting watching it now because it's, it's very much an artifact. So there's some bits of it that are totally timeless because it is about nothing. It's just sort of existential comedy or existential horror, depending on what episode you're watching. Um, that is, is always funny. There's some stuff that is like about, you know, payphones that it's just like artifacts of late 80s, early 90s technology that and culture that aren't funny anymore. And there's some stuff that wasn't even funny when it happened, but right. it's an artifact of uh, Jerry Seinfeld's position as a sort of goofy uh unaware straight person with like kind of some toxic masculinity. So Mal tells a great story about she grew up watching Seinfeld reruns, but has a really clear memory of walking into the living room of the opening sketch, the stand-up sketch of Seinfeld is on. He's talking about, Hey, you know, what's the deal with the, um, the detergent commercials and, you know, why are they always worried about blood? And, like, why do you have blood? We're always so worried about blood in your clothing. And, you know, if you've got blood on your shirt, maybe, you know, getting out of your clothing isn't your biggest priority. And she takes one look at that and goes, well, this guy's an idiot. He's never fig- heard about periods and just right. walks away. It's like, this guy's a dumbass. Yeah. And she's right. <laughs> he is a dumbass. Yeah. Um, so there's some stuff that just wasn't funny, <laughs> still isn't funny. Yeah. Um, but what I didn't realize about them is... You know, the Jewish cultural art, cultural references are are very near and dear to me. But the fact that they're constantly referencing comic books, like they, the line between Jerry Seinfeld and Kevin Smith is, I think, much thinner than either one of them is willing to admit. Yeah, um, but it's huge because Jerry Seinfeld doesn't say, like, come. And well, fair. Low job. <laughs> and they do talk about sex on. But yes, it's a it's a different sort of uh vocabulary but it is just like you know nerdy guys and so it's fascinating to watch there's a whole lot of like people our age on tumblr kind of rediscovering seinfeld or appreciating it now and also sharing memes of like if seinfeld were written today what would it be about and you know you hand somebody a phone you don't swipe you never swipe you know that kind of stuff and because it is you could easily replace the cultural artifacts that are no longer relevant with ones that are current. Yeah. Uh, but it's been delightful, uh, but it, it's strange to to come into it now knowing the sort of like impact it's had on culture. So knowing that you are a historian of stand up, is this a fool's errand to be well like what do you what do you think about no I mean diving I think into this. At Seinfeld to me is like um it, it it's like anything historic. Seventy five million people watched the season finale of Seinfeld. That is like a massive cultural artifact. I remember growing up in a household full of like Seinfeld shorthand, sign language. Yeah, sign language, <laughs> and it was it was interesting because my dad used a lot of like jerryisms um there's an episode where uh george gets mad at somebody for double dipping at a party mm-hmm. and he just like goes around the party like snitching on this guy he double dipped his chip you never double dip your chip 
and, and what's funny about it is that that <laughs> they're so committed to it in the in the episode and also rolls off the tongue so so much so whenever somebody would bring out a dip or whatever my dad would always say that but we always double dipped anyway because it's not a value that we have right <laughs> so it was it's interesting too because you connect to it on a cultural level where i don't yet seinfeld did permeate our sort of like upbringing in ways where well, yeah. yeah, that's fascinating because, you know, I'll, I'll I will experience secondhand people who have grown up with Seinfeld or who understand the, you know, the goof, but understand them as like goofy things the same way you'd quote Anchorman if you grew right. up <laughs> our age. Yeah. Whereas I'm watching and be like, no, this is a thing that like happened to me. Like right. This is a thing my dad says. <laughs> not and he very specifically did not watch Seinfeld. He's just like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's so funny. And meanwhile, my dad is saying, you never double dip your chip on his second dip. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's so weird. Because, yeah, so much of that show is about, like, hygiene and etiquette and, and you know. Uh, and specifically, like, justice and Jewish neuroses. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's very, it's very, 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 I think, indebted to a Woody Allen style of of comedy quote-unquote comedy where mm-hmm. Woody Allen's movies get progressively less funny um, and Seinfeld and, and, and worse too. And so Seinfeld yeah. sort of like taps into that neuroses and it combines it with Seinfeld's observational humor. But when people say observational humor too, I think that's thrown around a lot. Like it's, it's not just about observing something that is... Um, unique it's about observing bullshit minutia like seinfeld is the peak observational comedian because he's talking about the dip bowl he's talking about the chinese restaurant he's talking about uh stupid bets about not uh, like i i think that show popularized no not november i i remember that episode um but I'm not sure if No Nut November existed before Seinfeld or if Seinfeld popularized it. And it is that kind of like a minute observational humor that I think Larry David, who worked on Seinfeld, has taken beyond anything Jerry Seinfeld could, like, could have even imagined in Curb Your Enthusiasm. And But I don't like Curb. I can... I can get my head around Seinfeld and curb for me is like too. this is too much. This like, is interesting. Yeah. Cause I had I've seen like an episode of curb your enthusiasm. I'm it didn't work for me, but Seinfeld wouldn't have worked me. If worked for me at the time either. Yeah. I'm interested in like, I'm going to finish Seinfeld and then try curb because it is very much this like mockumentary style about Larry David, the writer of Seinfeld. What's really interesting in watching Seinfeld is the way the absence of Larry David, the person, permeates into all the other characters. So Jerry Seinfeld takes all of Jerry Seinfeld's ideas and then is Jerry Seinfeld the character in the show Seinfeld. But Larry David is very specifically not in the show. And so George Costanza is sort of Larry David, but Kramer is also sort of Larry David. And then Helene is sort of Jerry Seinfeld some of the time. And it's it, you see his ideas bouncing around other characters and his influence is everywhere yeah which is really fascinating um it is 
so we'll, I'll keep checking back with it. Um, but yeah, the, the peak sort of Jewishness of it and the very much the 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 humor of the slice of life. I mean, it's cl- it's the closest thing American live TV has to like sort of slice of life anime. You know, it's this yeah, yeah, very yeah. much just which is a thing that Japanese culture has that American culture often doesn't. What is really interesting to me about the show, though, is it both revolutionizes situational comedy because every show after this wants to be Seinfeld or is indebted to Seinfeld. You know, um, uh, Always Sunny has this very Seinfeldian. What if we made everybody on Seinfeld more nuts yeah. um, instead of just sort of Jewish neurotic, like truly criminally insane? Um, and and it's like, also like very gen like it's it's a Gentile show. Yes, it's specifically a Gentile show, yeah, yeah. which um, which is good because it means it's different and it speaks to a different slice of of the population, a different audience, but still is indebted to this uh, this kind of uh, mechanics of Seinfeld. But Seinfeld is very specifically calling it a sitcom is not even the right term because it's very much about there not even being situations. Right, it's not about any nothing happens. Well, but if you boil it down to the nuts and bolts of it, it is also a literal definition of a situational comedy insofar as the situation is there at a diner for 20 minutes. Right. That like that is it. They're at the laundromat and that's yes. it. And that is really and that's something that I think um, sitcoms that come after have a hard time with because you get, you know, family guy or whatever where especially in animation where you can just ramp up the absurdity or even always sunny, which has them, they get into schemes, but then they get into like, you know, fights and they get into, you know, real sort of magical realism type of situations. A really good example. Seinfeld is worst when it has a bigger budget and when it tries to use, you know, larger conceits, there's an episode uh, that comes right before the Chinese restaurant. Um, there's a dream sequence Jerry's worried about uh, illegal cable. Again, speaking of technological artifacts, some Russian guy's going to come in and install illegal cable so he can get all 32 channels or whatever. And um, you could just go to Blockbuster. Uh, so the um, he's got like a dream sequence where it's undercover FBI and there's a shootout and he dies. And then he's on a plane and there's a bunch of extras. And then he's at a, there's people in his apartment and they've got all these extra characters and all of this extra nonsense. And the humor is worse. Because it is funnier when it is just four people in a room and when they're all just in the Chinese restaurant waiting for a table and they can concentrate on the little minutia of a universal experience that everybody has colored with a very Jewish perspective on all these like social norms and anxieties. That's exponentially funnier than whatever like bullshit Sundance and Bush and Sundance like fantasy he has. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a fun show. And I watched it the same way I watched like The Fresh Prince or the same way I watched uh, Martin or the same way I watched a lot of sitcoms, which was on TV. And Mm -hmm. so it's one of those shows where they all sort of like are just smashed together. And it was during a time where you didn't care if you missed like there was no seat like there was no like you never went on a app and it was like seven seasons with 20 episodes and then you go through all 20 in order i just watched a bunch of them 
And that was my experience of all of those sitcoms from the 90s and shit like that. Yeah, and I really like being able to watch it in order on Netflix because I'm also watching it as a cultural artifact now and seeing how the fashion changes and how their circumstances change over time and realizing how young they all are when they start. And so seeing that in order is kind of an anthropological exercise for me, which I find fascinating. But Seinfeld was a perfect show for syndication because it didn't matter. There was not any continuity. Everything resets at the end of every, every episode. And so it can just show up whenever. And that's something that most television shows don't do anymore because the television market isn't like that anymore. So it really is in another way, truly an artifact of an earlier time when they were all bottle episodes and nothing continues and you can just watch them out of order. That's just, that would be unheard of now in the age of binging and streaming and, the seasonal big bad plots and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just our way to get to something from the 90s 30 years later. Yep. No, exactly. This is <laughs> like I said, scalding hot takes on ice cold subjects. Uh, I watched The Bride of Chucky, which is the movie Jennifer Tilly did after Bound. Oh, right. Is that her next movie immediately after Bound? I don't know if it's immediately after, but I think Bound is like 96. The Bride of Chucky is like 98. And it's That's cool. Fucking fantastic. Which <laughs> is all, all that needs to be said. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of Is It Just Bad? Stay off social media. Email us at bad at gmail.com. If you so desire, we won't read it. Uh, <laughs> see you on the next one. Bye. Is this just bad? It's like what pirates forge your brain, robbing knowledge, no joking. Opening your mind with a crowbar till you're woken, hitting Hydra, hailing hairs, half a time for hella reasons. We're more than winter soldiers, with the men for all seasons. Listen closely while we share our expertise in cosmic comics culture. Dean is free tuition to the multiversity. Mouse is psycho teaching perfect balance when we snap infinite gems into your ears. Dust our shoulders when we speak. Purple men persuasive speech. Or Randy Savage rattles with their mortal technique. Ooh.